Hey guys, this is Sammy Garza with World Traveler City Podcast. I'm uh, happy to be with Mr. Robert Palmer. Robert, how are you doing today? Pretty good. It's uh, it's great. It's great to chat with you, Sam. Thanks, Robert. Hey, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, and where you are right now. Sure. Uh, at, at the moment, physically, I'm in uh, Rome, Italy. Uh, been kind of based out of here for a while, but uh, I'm always on the road. Um, I have uh, my own little company, Small Globe Media. And my primary clients, the reason I'm in Rome, are uh, a couple of UN agencies based out of here. Uh, but I work all over and with a uh, you know plethora of uh, different organizations, but but predominantly with the United Nations. Great. And uh, how did this all start, Rob? Before I get into your life in Rome, you know, no, of course you're from the states. You uh, tell us a little bit why, where you're from, uh, kind of your journey to get to to get to Italy, and how that came about. Sure. You know, I'm from Arizona originally, um, you know, middle, middle of the desert. Um, <laughs> and I love Arizona. You know, all I wanted to, to, to do, you know, is to get out of the desert when I was a kid. So, you know, I looked, uh, you know, kind of looked global and see what the world was like. Um, you know, so from there, you know, after, after university, I was very lucky and ended up getting an um, internship at my house in, uh, with a administration in D.C. Uh, did, you say, and, did you say the White House? Correct. Correct. Awesome. And then, um, you know, that turned into a job. And then from them, you know, when the administration ended, I've kind of pretty much been overseas ever since. So that's kind of how I started from uh, Arizona. That's awesome. And what led you to Rome? How did, how did you get to Rome, Italy? I know, you know, I visited you uh, there for both, you know, when I was working up in Vicenza. And of course, I've gone to to Rome to see you m many times. But what what led you there? And you know, how many years has it been since you've been living in Europe and living the international lifestyle that we're going to be talking about and kind of giving pointers to people who who kind of want to emulate what you've done? Sure, sure. I've been based out of Rome almost uh, almost 11 years. I travel a ton. So right. um, but but this country, my home base for, for about 11 years. I'm, I'm astonished. I came here originally for three months. <laughs> And um, I can't believe it's been 11 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, you know, Sam and I, you know, you, you, you and I were together in, uh, in Brussels doing our master's. So, uh, right. you know, I was in Europe before then spent a lot of time in Asia and other parts of the world as well. So, um, yeah, Rome, Rome is awesome. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a city that grew on me. I remember my first visit there in 1998. I, I wasn't too pleased with it, but it was a short, it was a short, you know, five day stint. And, you know, as you know, you can't, uh, you you can't pass judgment or give a full you know your feelings about Rome in one in less than a week and then I guess over the years it's just been like one of those go-to cities that I absolutely enjoy thanks to you and and you know your wife Manuela who who uh, of course she is Roman yep 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 she is well tell us a little bit about your work there Rob and and your work with the UN uh you know, some specifics about the organizations, what you do, uh, and the international aspect and the impact that it does to help, uh, you know, people around the world. Sure, sure. The two, the two UN agencies in Rome that I work with are the uh, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations and then the uh, World Food Program, um, also UN agency. Okay. Um, you know, both are really, really great organizations, um, you know, pre predominantly on hunger-related issues. Um, World Food Program also does, you know, in addition to hunger, kind of emergency response-related issues. And kind of they kind of coordinate for the whole UN and, and very much a lot of NGOs as well kind of rely on their logistics capacity during emergencies. Um, both are great organizations, very different uh, in nature and in operation. Um, my work here, you know, with, with these clients, I do a lot of headquarters related work. So a lot of global projects and programs, okay. organizational reform work, 
Um, but you know, my, my, my passion and real interest is actually kind of the, you know, programmatic work in the field. So setting up operations in you know, in countries, you know, scaling up operations. This is really kind of the fun of the UN. Right. It's the more the, you know, the tactical side of the house rather than the strategic, you know, sitting behind a desk. Now, when you say countries, uh, share some, share some countries that you've worked in and the, some of the challenges that you faced inside those countries, you know, for work. Sure, sure. Well, I, I worked in a ton, but um, you know, a project that I, I really enjoyed was uh was, was in Yemen. Actually, it's a couple of years Yemen. ago. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, they they you know after kind of the uh, Arab Spring, you know, there was a transition of power that went on, and and potential opportunity is you know for 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 kind of a better life of, of the Yemeni. So. I actually went there with the World Food Program to help them scale up humanitarian operations. Basically, uh, a lot of people were hungry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Went there with them, and and you know because it was not a particularly safe place um, at the time. Um, a lot of the expats lived in lived in a hotel, basically, and you know got under armed guard, etc. So I ended up becoming friends with the uh, head of another UN agency, and literally over over sushi, they had a Japanese restaurant on the roof because the uh, Japanese embassy staff lived there. Awesome. Um, you know, so basically over sushi and uh, and and some you know not permitted sake, you know we we, <laughs> we we kind of hashed out a project and basically she asked me how can we get women involved in this democratic transition process? Because um, of my political background before, you know, kind of we hashed out a project and uh, she got some uh, got some startup money for it and uh, and we were off and running and we went up for from a three hundred thousand dollar budget to uh, seven million in less than a year. Wow, that's great. Uh, Great. Yeah. Anyway, we ended up winning an award for, uh, you know, a UN award for uh, for the project effectiveness. And that is wonderful news. And I know, you know, the situation, the both the political and the security situation in Yemen has collapsed. You know, I guess since then, uh, what what has happened to the project? Is it put on hold? Uh, what's going on? Yeah, you know, the project was very interesting, very very innovative in in many respects, and uh, we actually. Um, you know, if you don't mind me explaining it for, for a minute, you no, know, we uh, actually... We, please do. So what we actually did, we ended up uh, incubating six local Yemeni NGOs on, on women's-related issues um, and set up a kind of an advocacy group of kind of senior women issue leaders in Yemen from all political parties. So these NGOs went around, you know, went around the country, hosted town hall meetings, explaining kind of this democratic transition process and, that, and gathered data as well. There's no data on women's issues. So then that data would come on up, you know, coming up the chain, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we kind of crunch the numbers, et cetera. And then the advocacy team will put together and create key messages and then advocate on behalf of women's related issues, um, you know, at the constitution writing team. So, so it was very effective. We actually ended up getting three of these, uh, of, of these advocacy group actually on the constitution writing team. Wow. And, uh, because of the result of it, we ended up getting the first in the, in the region, first country in the region in the draft constitution, equal citizenship for women, basically foundation for women's issues. That's phenomenal. Um, you know, it was a really, really great, you know, really great success. Donors loved it. You know, um, the, the team was spectacular and the, you know, the local NGOs were, were absolutely spectacular. But, you know, since, uh, you know, things have deteriorated since then, you know, the governments have changed hands. There was an open conflict, you know, with Saudi Arabia and, and other folks. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's you, a know, the, you know, war by proxy. Definitely all the pl major players are in there. Uh, yeah, ab Absolutely. And uh, so, you know, so so it ended up collapsing, and everything's just you know pretty much. It, technically, it's on hold, but 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 it is basically collapsed. And and my fear is it's going to take a really long time to have another window of opportunity for uh, women's issues in Yemen. Well, you know, that brings up a question for me, uh, and you know, this could help our audience. You know, especially those trying to 
to live the international lifestyle, especially with an amazing, you know, upfront organization like the UN, as far as, you know, thinking international, that's one of the first groups you think about. Uh, can you replicate this model and use it as a blueprint for possibly other locations? Have you thought, you know, are, are you working on that? And if so, uh, how can you replicate it at other, in other countries around the world? Sure. Um, the, the model would actually be very easily replicatable. In fact, that was kind of the plan um, in some respects. Um, you know, I, I actually kind of used the model from my D.C. experience of uh, working with, um, you know, like in, in Washington, D.C., you have these kind of federations. You have the state kind of uh, um, associations, and they have a D.C.-based kind mm -hmm. of major overarching association that, that kind of lobby on behalf. I set up the same structure this way. Okay. Um, so I actually used kind of a U.S. lobbying model. Uh, it was very, very effective, and, and you know th this would work anywhere. You know, so it just needs to be adapted to uh, the local context, but uh, but but it works. Awesome, and so there, so it's it's doable. Uh, you've obviously got the you know the connections to to make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it was it, it was a great experience. And the you know when I was visiting you a couple of years back, I think maybe one of my first uh, first visits. You know, getting back to that three-month contract, I remember you were like, okay, I just got to Italy. I'm on a three-month contract. And this was many years ago. This was probably like 10 years ago. I was working up in, I think, Vicenza, and I came down to see you, and you were into the throes of your first contract. You know, for those trying to, again, like live overseas, do international work, you know, both you and I have that degree in international relations. It was always a goal to do this type of thing. How did this start working and, and how did you stay flexible uh, and the decisions you made that can help somebody w w that wants to do what you do? And how did you stay flexible to survive and not only survive in, in, in an overseas environment, but thrive? Sure. I mean, I, 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 you know, Sam, I think, I think you, you totally got it right on terms of, you know, the key word is, is, is flexibility, you know, flexibility, and innovation, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I, I am not UN staff. Um, right. I'm not really, you know, Planning on being UN staff, in, in some respects, being an American, you actually have a kind of a bias against you, so it's a little bit tough. And, and, um, and real quick, and we'll get back to why is that? You know, when you say that, is it is it just the the culture? Is it the institutional culture inside the UN, or is it the the political? Uh, you know, who, depending on who's in office or something like that. You know, a little bit of all of that. You know, one. You know, sometimes we don't always pay our bills on time, so it makes people mad. But but it also depends on depends on the UN agency as well. Some are much more supportive of kind of U.S. You know, U.S. involvement. Others less. Um, you know, so it depends on the agency. It depends on what's going on globally at the time. Okay. Um, it also depends on the quota system. You know, how many Americans are working where, and 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 you know, there has to be some kind of equal pseudo equal representation. So. But um, the UN is a very political place, so you need to play that politics game. Um, and mm -hmm. at staff, it's even worse. And, and, and that, and that flexibility has allowed you to go from, you know, to work to within work. multiple sub-agencies in the UN. Is that correct? Yeah, so I work with a lot of different agencies, projects, and programs, and I can actually do things that staff can't do. Um, and I can put together more innovative programs. And, and, you know, the UN is being squeezed. Their budgets are being squeezed. And, you know, they have a really rigid labor force. So, and also, you know, a lot, I think literally half of the UN kind of, you know, staffing requirements are actually consultants. Yeah, and, um, and that's, that's where I kind of want to lead to help someone listening. You know, if you were to give some advice, you know, let's say, you know, a couple, one to five things uh, that someone out there should should focus on. In other words, just because you don't get the UN job, like let's say for example a federal job, uh, 
you know, you can become a federal consultant like here in DC or a contractor. What do you recommend uh, for someone that has got the ambition to go work for the UN or be associated with the UN? You know, talk about the, the consulting side of the house. Sure, sure. Well, if you want to do international work, there's a lot of avenues. There's, of course, the UN. Um, okay. There's also, of course, NGOs, um, you know, as far as the development sphere. And then there's, of course, you know, companies, et cetera, working overseas. You know, and all those lines are blurring as well. So, so there's a lot of overlap, increasingly so. But, um, you know, so if you want to do kind of the UN route, yes, consultancy is definitely the easiest to get in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so much work available. Um, you know, I took a little different route. So I do a lot of consultancy, but then I started my own little company. So I'll kind of, you know, work on a lot of different projects at the same time and hire staff um, if needed. Right. Um, that's, that's a little more unusual. But um, so getting consultancy, once you get one, you know, there's a million and you'll always be asked. I came for three months and have been here 11 years. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And Rob, when you, when you mentioned consulting, so, you know, people know, is it internal comms? I know you do change management and organizational development. Um, you know, what's, what's pretty popular or a good path to, to select and go through uh, to kind of get these consulting contracts because, you know, some of them can be very, uh, you know, specific of what they're looking for. And some are pretty broad, like entry level type uh, projects. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is in some respects. There's so much varied work, you know, mm -hmm. even as a huge organization with billion dollars budgets, you know, right. so, um, you know, they, they need every everything a company would need, they, they would need and more. So, you know, pro overall project management type stuff, communications, you know, that's how I kind of got in was kind of communications. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of organizational reform work, a lot of um, kind of management related work and strategy. Um, you know, I also have an MBA, um, a long, you know, in addition to a uh, master's in international relations and my first degree is in physics. So you know, I have a, I have a funny background. <laughs> I remember in DC when, when we, you know, we first were here many, many moons ago, all your conversations were always about chemistry or physics, <laughs> which was yeah. great, which was great. I knew it was your passion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, I actually missed it a bit. I, I've never used a bit of it ever. So, um, you know, except for using, I guess, the logic behind it, you know, which is very useful. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different avenues. So if you, what what really is critical, you just have to the passion for making change. Um, you have to be, as you said, Sam, super flexible because you know the consultancy route is tough. It changes all the time. Um, mm -hmm. The dynamics of the international fear is always changing. Um, so you have to be flexible. Yeah, I you agree. Have to be creative, innovative. Yeah, and um, expand your skill set. Would you agree with that? You know, kind of more market, more marketable to some of these inner organizations inside the UN or yeah, they're absolutely, you know, they're subcontractors, so to speak. No, absolutely. You know, you, you should always be growing. In fact, in some respects, the consultants actually bring something much more unique to the table than the staff do. A lot of the staff are now getting old, um, mm -hmm. you know, getting older. It's more rigid. The, the, well, the, the federal, processes don't work. Yeah. The, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but the U S federal, federal sphere is absolutely in the same trouble. The, the boomers are retiring. Um, and with that, you lose the institutional knowledge because if it's not captured correctly of how things were done, how things get done, especially in a crisis, uh, you know, the Xers and the millennials might not know exactly how to handle certain things. So uh, it, it's it, it's a crisis, I think, and, you know, not just in, in the U.S., but obviously now in other organizations throughout the world. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. So and before we get into your uh your MBA, because I know that was a, a massive project for you uh, going to Asia on, you know, these long international flights uh, and getting that done, which is an amazing accomplishment. Um, tell us a little bit more about your life in Rome and the, you know, 
tell us more about Rome and the culture and the why you love it, why you love Italy so much. Uh, because when I, you know, when I go there, I I always think that I know Rome well until I go out with you. Uh, and <laughs> I always think I know the history and I know where to go have a great glass of wine and, and really good pasta. And then I go out with you and I'm like, I've got to get my notepad out to, so I can write a new blog post. So sure. t- tell us about your passion for Italy. Um, why you're still there. Of course, you know, if, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, your, your blessings that are on the way, uh, that'd be great to share with, with our audience. Sure, sure. Uh, Rome is awesome. You know, I mean, Italy, Italy is Italy is absolutely an amazing place. Um, infuriating at the same time, you know. But <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I guess you know, there, there's a certain lifestyle as an expat, and no matter where you are, um, an mm-hmm. expat life is kind of a sweet, privileged life. You know, you're not really in the country. You know, you're you're physically there, but not really always mentally there. You're always have one foot somewhere else, and and that that's a beautiful that's a beautiful position to be in some respects because you're always kind of a foreign. You're always looking at from kind of, you know, outside eyes. Right. Um, you know, and with that, so, you know, you don't take things for granted. I, I, I remember like, you know, walking to work, you know, going by the Coliseum and, you know, you know, you know you're, you're thinking about work, you're, you're, you're running a little bit late and, and then you stop for a second, like, Oh my gosh, I'm walking by the Coliseum. How did I not, like, I was looking down, not looking at it for a second. So, um, you know, amazing. you realize, you know, how, what an amazing place it is and always keep that perspective. You know, you, you're not here, so it's not your home. So you should never take it for granted. Um, I, think, I think that's awesome. I remember I was probably like four or five years ago. Um, we, I don't know, I think we were, we were heading up to Procheno, I think, and be like the day before, uh, you know, they were expanding, I think the Metro and you were explaining to me like they, they, you know, they can't go five feet without, hitting something ancient and bringing all the archaeologists in to, to kind of, you know, document everything before they have to keep moving, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. I mean, Rome is in some ways stuck in the past. It's mm-hmm. its greatest strength. It's also its uh, hindrance in some respects, but it, it is nevertheless amazing. Everywhere you turn, it's 2000 year old, something uh, just about everywhere. Right. And, 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 you know, I think for, for our listeners and those that want to live overseas and not just go on vacation or, uh, you know, take a, a three month sabbatical or whatever it might be. Those are all beautiful things because you get to learn and grow no matter how long your trip uh, will be in or overseas or even domestically. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's inspiring what you've done because I remember we were sitting, you know, here in, in Arlington, Virginia, where I currently live. And you said, I'm going to move to Rome and I'm going to, I'm going to do that's where I want to live. And, you know, I just kept looking at you with absolute awe. You know, this was 12, 13 years ago now, I guess. And you did it and you, you know, you, you know, you just said, I'm going to do it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a question in your mind. It was a question probably in mine. And I think a couple of our, of our local friends, but you've been there for 11 years. So I think it's important for someone out there listening that you, you know, especially if uh, you have a passion for international affairs, you have a passion for international work and, you know, and, and development in, you know, other countries, it's possible. And, um, if you could talk a little bit more about your international development work, Rob, I know that the Yemen project is definitely development, but I know there's a lot more uh, to that work of what you've done in Africa, uh, even in some, you know, I guess politically in other countries uh, working for political groups. But if you can share a little bit more of, of the passion for international development, how to make the world better, not just going overseas to take pictures and posting on Facebook, but a true passion that drives you to help others. Sure. You know, Sam, you mentioned something a second ago about, you know, going overseas, um, you know, and, and how one makes it happen. 
you know, in some respects, that's the exact same thing that it takes to, uh, you know, do kind of international development work or, or build things anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know what? Everything's tough. You just have to do it. Um, it is. <laughs> you, know, you have to get over your fear and you have to be super creative and innovative, innovative and, and just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally anything is possible anywhere, you know, no matter what the circumstances is. So, you know, how do you build a, how do you help lobby for women's related issues in Yemen? Um, you know, how do you make an organization full of, you know, help these Yemeni NGOs, you know, um, you know, do unbelievable things and take incredible risks. You know, you, you just go out and do it. Um, right. you know, and if you bring that energy to anything you do, um, you know, things happen, th- 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 things get built. That's awesome. And, and in some of your work in Africa and development, uh, could you share a little bit with that, Rob, if you can, if you're allowed, I know sometimes there's a, like with my work is a lot of non-disclosure agreements, even, even, even how helpful it might be to somebody, but if you can share something, I think that'd be great. Sure. Sure. I mean, everywhere is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere's, you know, different and really, really wonderful. Um, you know, people everywhere. I mean, maybe this sounds ridiculous, but I, I guess the more I travel, um, the more I think, you know, people pretty much kind of all the same you know we all have the same drivers we all want a better life we all want you know great things for our families we all you know we're all trying to you know make it go and we all have the same fears and you know insecurities and strengths as well so you know every so i guess in some respects everywhere everyone you know everyone's kind of the same so if you take it from that perspective you know leave your ego aside no matter where you go and then and magic happens you know and you get to see the absolute beauty of people and and amazing things You know, in the in the developing community, you know, it's it's funny. You know, you meet these people like in refugee camps or wherever. And, right. And ironically, you know, you might you know coming from the U.S. etc. You know, you might have a little initial fear or, or or just uncertainty or unknowing. But as soon as you get there, you know, people are beautiful. In some respects, they're a lot more giving than a lot of other people you might find. Uh, you know, in very wealthy countries. And uh, you know, and and then once you're there, and once you know, you, you're trying to make things better in some way or another. Um, you know, magic happens and, you know, everything kind of opens up. So that's awesome. Now, you know, you, you and I met in Brussels, of course, we worked a little bit in DC, you get your, your master's international affairs. Uh, you are living the international lifestyle. You're living your degree. A lot of, a lot of people, uh, as we know in that, that program, you know, get the degree checkbox and, you know, they're doing something different and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but you actually, uh, you know, are putting that, theory into practice for the past 11 plus years what made you go get an mba in uh, i think you were in uh the i forgot the school which is one of the best in the world share a little bit about that what motivated you to to continue the international development and the travel and that whole experience share with our audience of what you did and and how it's helped you Sure, sure. Um, the school I went to was actually um, Kellogg, you know, based at you know, Northwestern University in uh, in Chicago. Great school. And they have they have a program together with the University of Hong Kong in science in uh, science and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, an amazing MBA. So I have a degree from both. Um, it's an executive MBA. So everyone was you know basically forty. They're 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 you know pretty much my age. Right. Um, everyone was very senior. I was by far the poorest person. I think by like dollars <laughs> a year. Um, well, that, that's okay was, though. That, that, that adds some, some financial diversity to the group. I'm sure No, it was great because, uh, you know, they were all nice and bought me drinks. So <laughs> it worked out well. Well, that's good. That's you're, 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 you know, you don't drink that much. So that, that's obviously a good thing. Um, you know, so, so the, why did the MBA, you know, the, the world and the development community is changing, you know, yeah. the, the lines between pure kind of traditional government sponsored development or UN sponsored development, um, you know, it's changing. The private sector has an increasingly important role. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, 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 those, and those, those, you know, kind of the initial very kind of strong divides are, are now breaking down. So even, even for funding, you know, there's a lot of kind of social investment, social enterprise investment funds and stuff like this. It's a growing field. In fact, I'm, I'm working on a project now helping the UN kind of, kind of go into this direction as well. So, um, you know, to basically to mobilize, you know, private sector capital. So the, the world is, you know, the world is changing, you know, and, you know, I wanted to keep up. Um, the UN, you know, has a lot of really backward business, business practices that they that absolutely become more efficient on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the NPO sector needs to be more efficient. The UN needs to be more efficient. Um, there's a lot of stuff the private sector has that, mm-hmm. that should be implemented. But the other way around, too, you know, the private sector needs to realize also, you know, that, that their work has a massive social dimension uh, and that a stable you know, fruitful economy benefits their business as well. So, you know, all the lines are merged. So I wanted to really just jump jump in kind of, you know, head first and really understand kind of, you know, the dyna- dynamics of, of, of that relationship and understand the business part. So right. um, it, Kellogg it, was an amazing experience for it. That's awesome because I remember in Brussels, you know, I learned a lot about international affairs at the bar after class discussing what we learned because <laughs> everyone sitting at the table with us was from, you know, different parts of the world. You know, of course, you know, everyone spoke English, but they, you know, everyone was multilingual. Um, But just that personal experience, you know, for me allowed me to grow. Uh, Did you experience the same thing at Kellogg? It probably have not more so because you probably had the professional side to everybody as well. Yeah, no, no, they, they, the the people were amazing, and absolutely, you know, the 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 bars is where most of the uh, you know learning took place. But you know, also in the discussions, because you had all these you know executives from all around the world. You know, I, we had a big wig of, from from Google in the class. You know, yep. amazing. So you know, bringing that whole kind of you know the big data perspective. Um, we had you know a friend on my team. You know, he, he manages like five thousand staff in India. You know, works for a tech company. I mean, wow. who manages five thousand people? So right. obviously, if I have a management question, you know, I go to him. Um, you know, all of them have been doing amazing things. You know, investment Man. bankers. Um, That's amazing. You know, just, just, just about the whole gamut and very senior level people. So when we discuss a problem or have a different perspective, you know, we, we really go on it from all these different angles. And you know, I, I hope I contributed something from kind of you know the government and kind of you know development type sector as well. Well, knowing you, knowing you, and I do, I'm sure, I'm sure you contributed. And uh, what a great experience, man. I mean, because you had a goal of. One continuous learning. You're not gonna gonna stop because you know when you told me you were doing this, I was all for it. But I just it brought back those sleepless nights of working on my thesis, you know. And I thought I don't ever want to do this again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, you know, I've just you know I do miss the the uh, the mix of people and from all over the world, and so that was enriching. Uh, and yep. I'm sure now you've got it, you know, from now on the other side of the world, which you know is a really a global experience, you know? Absolutely. And and you plan on bringing that, of course, what you've learned to the UN, you're already doing that. Uh, Let's talk about now what's next for Robert Palmer. I mean, you've kind of touched a little bit on it. Uh, Share, you know, what's next for you and, and, you know, just give a couple more pointers of people that want to emulate what you're doing and, and how they can go about doing it. Sure, sure. You know, in some ways, you know, I, I just finished my degree, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what 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 is next? You know, right. do I do I expand my own company again? I scaled back to 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 do the uh, you know to to the school, but do I expand and go off a little bit different direction, and mm-hmm. um, or do I uh, you know jump in house for an organization? Do I go work as staff for the UN, or do I jump private sector? So I'm trying to figure that out now. Well, that's that's a great position to be in, you know, because you've got choices. Ah, uh, well, at least hopefully, yes, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. 
But, um, you know, w- what I do know, one of my drivers for doing the NBA in the first place was, you know, the world is changing, you know, and especially with, uh, you know, especially with tech, you know, yep. people are able to, you know, connect together, exchange information, you know, data is available from, from, from just about anywhere and everywhere in all these different shapes and forms, um, really, really powerful stuff. So, you know, there, there, you know, the world has never been kind of in a position where it can be so linked and, and, and you can actually, you know, people in some respects have the ability or opportunity to be very, you know, franchise kind of, kind of take take place and be part of it um i want to help push this i mean i that's i mean i, I think fine. like you know the googles and the apples of the world and mm-hmm. and all these big data in some respects have, have done more for development um you know than 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 the uh, you know than the un itself so i'll help bridge the worlds a little more i want to try to figure out kind of you know where where the next step goes and trying to make sure people um you know have, have a place in it and uh you know the previously disenfranchised can uh can be players that's great rob and you know you're inspiring. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that, that day at lunch, you know, over 11 years ago when you said I'm moving to Rome and I'm going to go do my thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I never doubted you and, and you've done, you know, you, you've led by example, you live your degrees, you live your, your passion and, you know, it's inspiring. And, you know, I just want to thank you for, for taking the time uh, to talk to us today at world travelers today. Uh, I know that this information will be helpful to people that want to emulate what you're doing and not just travel overseas, but to, to make a difference while they're traveling, you know, while they're, while they're working abroad. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. It was, it was a pleasure as always. Okay. And we look forward to maybe bringing you on later on talking about your new projects and, and what's going on with those. So again, Rob, thanks for your time today. Sounds great. Thanks, Sam.